Free Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 167, How Much Fuel is in Your Airplane, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to another episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm really excited to be here with some of my other aviation flying geeks and friends. And today we have with us uh, Larry Overstreet. We also Hello have from Wisconsin. From Wisconsin. And Russ Rosleski from, I think, Oklahoma City. Is that Oklahoma. correct? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Welcome. Day. And uh, from the sunny, balmy, oh, no, wait a minute. From the the cold and snowy north, that would be Rick Felty. Welcome. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Hello from nor'easter new england yeah gosh it, and uh are you still getting that nor'easter by the way no it's it's all it's done but it it, it hung around a while and it, it's the second one in less than a week so it's kind of uh, wild it, it, oh my gosh it was incredible and uh, interesting too because one thing that i loved about this whole thing is the fact that there was lots of wind and then afterwards we had another nor'easter that had lots of snow and the yeah. snow actually was the thing that really screwed things up more than anything uh, amazingly enough you know if you got a lot of wind that's straight down the runway you can still land. You might have to put a little power in, though, when you're landing. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. You're landing at 20 knots ground speed across the right. end of the runway there. <laughs> but uh, I know, Rick, have you been out flying recently in the past week in the snow? Uh, no. No, no. No, no. You're smart. <laughs> Best not to. <laughs> yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been kind of wild. Let's do the pre-flight. Anyway, before we begin, a quick uh, message from our sponsors, AviationCareersPodcast.com, career coaching, scholarships, and free advice through the podcast at AviationCareersPodcast.com. Also, since we've had quite a few folks uh, signing up for the uh, career coaching, make sure that when you do, you get the confirmation in your email that you actually have signed up for the coaching. Um, and with that said, a couple of announcements we have at uh, Sun and Fun. Uh, that's coming up fairly shortly. Uh, in April from the, uh, what is it, the 10th through the 15th. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I don't remember that. Uh, but it's uh, it's coming up shortly. Someone help me out if I don't get that right. Uh, but it's actually one of the events that we really love doing. It's from the 10th to the 15th. And we will be doing a live show there from 5.30 to 7.30 on Saturday night before the night air show. Another cool thing that we're going to do this year. And, uh, and, and kudos to Rick Felty for helping out with all the production here is the fact that we're going to going to do a daily show a daily show at sun and fun we heard your feedback awesome yeah and and rick I, man i tell you hats off to you it's for fun. doing that before it is yeah it's a blast and uh and by the way we've gotten a lot of feedback from the last one rick on what you did with with the whole daily show there at mm -hmm. uh, sebring and people loved it and i think that's terrific that that you've done that so thanks so much cool. for doing that uh we yeah. want to bring more events like that to you just like uh the event that was up in uh, Tavares where uh, Bill English was up there with me doing a live event. Uh, we want to bring Gemmel Aviation to you, and that's the purpose of this podcast because we love Gemmel Aviation, and we love flying. And it's about living to fly, loving to fly, and learning to fly. It's, it's so terrific. And one of the things that I've noticed is that when we do those shows, we get a lot more feedback from you. Remember, stuckbikeavcast.com at gmail.com is where you can actually send us feedback about the show and anything that you want to ask, etc. It would be wonderful to send right there. But we will be doing it live. We'll be doing a daily show. And what we're doing is this. We're going to have our folks out from Stuck Mike Avcast going out in the field, doing interviews. We're going to put that in a podcast. It's also going to live stream liveatc.net slash 
uh, LAL or slash Sun and Fun Radio. So you'll find that there on the website. So you'll you'll find out that there are so many ways to actually get involved with Sun and Fun, even though you won't be there, just like some of the other live events that are out there. Uh, another thing, uh, real quickly, I've uh, I guess this announcement came out recently. I've actually been promoted at Sun and Fun. I am now the uh, co-producer of the live events at Sun and Fun Radio. Uh, so, yeah, hey. Uh, what that Ooh. means, they're going to double my salary. And from zero to, uh, well, that's zero, <laughs> I guess. And uh, <laughs> and I get to have no sleep and uh, help. Uh, Dave Schaubetter, a real shout-out to Dave Schaubetter. Boy, oh, boy, he's been doing this for over 22 years, and he has been doing a wonderful job bringing this live event to us. Uh that liveatc.net slash SNF is one of the best ways to find out more about what's going on at Sun and Fun and also uh, about what's going on in aviation. There's going to be some really cool people that are there uh, introducing some neat new uh, products and also new airplanes that are out there. And there's nothing like being there to actually touch and feel and fly those new airplanes. Uh, so uh, it's going to be it's such an honor to do that event. What a big air show. And, of course, we're uh, just right down the street. Uh, from uh, Sun and Fun Radio, and uh, if hopefully you'll come find us. We'll be in the orange shirts. Uh, they stay stuck like Avcast on there, so come find us. Anyway, uh, other shout-outs and announcements. Uh, I got one uh, feedback from, uh, I think it's uh, from Larry. What is your uh, announcement? Yeah, thanks. Um, just a quick shout-out to friend and listener Scott Todd from the Tampa area who's working on his private pilot certificate and should be soloing just about the time this uh, this episode hits the airwaves. Um, I, I was listening to Scott the other day talk in a, in a business context, and he, and he used the analogy, you know, you, you're just not going to have a good landing if you don't start your pattern right. And I thought, okay, he's, he's getting good instruction here. He's going to do fine. Um, so shout-out to Scott. Hope to see you at Sun and Fun. Yeah, we always hear that the you can tell a good landing uh, many miles from the runway just by uh, the way you've had it set up, et cetera. So uh, I'm glad you're getting that instruction, and, and kudos to you. I, I really am excited about uh, him actually uh, moving forward in his private pilot certificate and, and getting close to solo. If you have a solo... Uh, you know any kind of uh, information or something that you want to share with us as far as somebody who's just got their certificate, etc. We'd love to hear from you. Now entering cruise flight. Well, anyway, let's get started with the show tonight. And we talked about a l- in the beginning. We said how much fuel is in your airplane. Uh, the reason we're talking about this comes from an article that was in General Aviation News. Of course, we partner with General Aviation News, and you can look on our website in the top, excuse me, in the bottom right corner of our uh, website. You can actually see some of the interesting articles that come up there, uh, some by Jamie Beckett and by some of the other folks that are there writing at uh, General Aviation News. But one thing caught my eye, and the reason it caught my eye is because this something similar happened to a friend of mine. And uh, it's something that I think that we all can relate to and really have to really manage properly, and that's fuel in our, in our tanks. So let me, let me quick read this article. It's very short. It's about fuel starvation. It's, uh, the title is Fuel Starvation Leads to Forced Landing, General Aviation News. During cruise flight in the experimental amateur-built Mustang II, the private pilot attempted to move the fuel selector from left to the right fuel tank. During that process, the engine lost power and the airplane sustained substantial damage during the subsequent forced landing near Normandy, Texas. The pilot was seriously injured in the crash. The pilot reported he had recently modified the fuel system, and while attempting to select the right fuel tank, he inadvertently starred the engine of fuel. He reported no problems with the engine before loss of engine power and stated that the engine lost power because he used improper procedures while attempting to change the fuel selector. Probable cause, a total loss of engine power due to fuel starvation as a result of the pilot's improper fuel selector positioning procedures during flight. Uh, This was actually a really interesting accident for me because about 25 years ago, I had a really good friend of mine had the same situation, and he was up in an experimental aircraft. He switched tanks, and the engine quit. And you know what he did? And I thought this was really, really cool uh, what he decided to do. He actually said, you know what? I just did something, and it caused my engine to quit. Let me reverse that and see if the engine comes back. And he did. He reversed it. Engine came back to life, and he landed. 
So there are those of us that have experimental aircraft, and we have a fuel selector that we may have modified, uh, changed uh, for any reason, and maybe that may have caused a, a situation just like this person has, has caused here. But in a general sense, we're going to talk a little bit more generally about fuel starvation, not just in experimental aircraft, but also in other aircraft, but other aircraft like certified aircraft. But let's stick with the, with the experimental aircraft first, and then we'll move on. Um, as far as experimental aircraft, I know Larry. Larry is actually right now building his own aircraft and the Sonics, et cetera. And, and one of the things I'm curious about, Larry, is when we talk about fuel starvation, obviously we're going to talk in a minute about fuel in our tanks and making sure we have enough fuel. But let's talk a little bit more about fuel management of our systems in our specific aircraft that we obviously must know in a certified plane, but also in an experimental. So, Larry, is, is there any challenges that you've seen going forward in your aircraft as far as the fuel management? And, and do you, can you put any, shed any light on this person's situation? Um, I'm not super familiar with the Mustang II. I, I know what it looks like, and it's a, a really neat-looking airplane. Um, in uh, the Sonics, it's really dead simple. It's a gravity-feed tank. Uh, the tank is uh, effectively in front of uh, the uh, firewall, in, or sorry, um, sorry, in front of the instrument panel, um, and then it just gravity-feeds to the carburetor. And so there's no fuel pump. There's no... Um, uh, uh, you know, fuel management to speak of other than do you have enough? Very similar for people who are familiar with it with the uh, Piper Cub, you know, which has a fuel tank right up there on top and it, it gravity feeds to the engine. Um, it's one of the things I like about the Sonic's design philosophy is to keep things as simple as possible. And um, uh, they've done a really good, a really good job of that. So I don't anticipate many problems, you know, that are fuel system related. Um, you can certainly get, you know, uh, uh, dirt in your fuel or, you know, or anything like that. So there, there are always opportunities for, you know, something to go wrong. Um, but it's about as, you know, dead simple as you can get. So even though we're in an aircraft that has a very simple uh, fuel system, let's take, for instance, a Cessna 172 that has uh, left, right, and both, and usually we leave it on both. We've still seen people that have run out of gas and run out of fuel, and that is due to the, the fact that there's, uh, we may have lacked planning. We also may have lacked the knowledge of how to look at the fuel in our tanks, and we may have actually trusted our instrument gauges too much, our fuel instrument gauges way too much. Uh, Russ, I think uh, I'd love to take you in on this conversation. I know you've flown some 172s, and you have students flying those, and I think it's really important, even in a system that's incredibly simple, we can still run out of gas, can't we? Well, we, you certainly can. You can well, you can run out of gas just by running out of gas, of course, even in a, a 172. Um, but you know, something like that where you don't have to switch the tanks, it's really easy to get complacent um, about you know checking your, your tank levels and such. Um, but in most of the 172s, 182s I fly, that one tank does drain faster than the other. And if you were to experience some kind of you know vent getting plugged up or something like that, um, you could conceivably run out of fuel, uh, although you still have, you know, 30 gallons on board. So it, it's still important to pay attention to your fuel burn and, and know what you should expect from that airplane. So let's talk a little bit about that first, as far as planning is concerned, and then we'll go into abnormalities in the aircraft and anomalies with the certain planes that we fly. Um, so one of the things that w we're looking at is, number one, we want to make sure that we have enough gas in our tanks. And when we're asking somebody to put fuel in our tanks, a lot of times we ask them not by the number of hours that we need, but by the number of gallons we need. And sometimes uh, there's a disconnect there because I, I know I've heard this many times. It's like, well, um, you know, we should ask for the number of hours in the tank. But, but no, the, the person that's actually fueling the aircraft, they actually know based on the number of gallons that are in the aircraft. So it's very important to let them know how many gallons must be put into that aircraft. And I, I will say one thing, and this is something that is really important for those of you that are instructors out there. Um, and, and I tell you, I have a tough time with this sometimes. And I, I love every student that I have. 
But there's a couple things that I always check, and that's the oil level and the fuel level. And I physically check both of those. And uh, don't be offended when I go out to your aircraft and I look because uh, I want to make sure that we both make it there safely. Because even though these aircraft can land just about anywhere, let, let's not let's not try it. You know that that's for sure. And but Russ, what, what kind of what kind of planning do you do with your students when you're trying to talk about not just cross countries but fuel planning in general? Well, I think one of the most important things with fuel planning is sure you run the the numbers, you know, and and I teach, of course, how to you know look at the performance charts in the airplane and figure out how fast you're going, how long it's going to take, and how much fuel is going to take, of course. But that's that's all great planning, but then you need to execute that, and the only way you're going to successfully fly at say in a 172 because you brought that up at eight or nine gallons an hour is if you lean appropriately. I know of a, of a case where someone took off on a, you know, like a three or so hour cross country flight and ran out of gas just short of their destination. Of course. Well, the whole problem was, or one of the main problems I guess was that they didn't lean properly. So, I mean, leaning, you know, 172 takes you from, I don't know, 15 gallons an hour down to eight or nine. Right. The 182 takeoff is probably 20 gallons an hour, 22. <laughs> so there's a big difference there in fuel burn rates. And if if you're not leaning properly, you won't you won't get the same performance you predicted, and it might end up just short of your your destination. That's where it, it seems to happen a lot. So it's traditionally been a technique to teach not to bother leaning below something like 3,000 feet. Um, I was never taught that. I don't teach that. I always teach lean appropriately for you know, whatever phase of flight you're in. Uh, but I have worked with some people who were taught, don't bother leaning below 3,000 feet. Well, yeah. in some areas of the country, uh, you could conceivably fly a long ways to your destination at, say, 2,500 feet. I don't know, out there in Florida or something. Right, <laughs> right guys? So um, if you don't lean, yeah, you might be doubling your fuel burn. Uh, and that, that that can certainly certainly be pretty dangerous. So, you know, that's great that you brought that up for us because it's not just doing your planning, uh, which was going to be the first thing we were going to talk about, but it's actually implementing your plan. And by implementing your plan, you need to actually lean the aircraft properly. And I think that's incredibly important. And one of the things that I, I, I see all the time, especially like you brought up, at, I love flying at 2,500 feet. I love flying at 1,500 feet. But when I'm at 1,500 feet, a lot of times we're told, hey, you don't need to lean. But I lean all the time because, first of all, I'm an aircraft owner, or I was. I'm not right now. But uh, I want to make sure that I'm not burning too much gas because I'm the one that's paying for the gas. I'm not just paying by the hour like I am at a rental. So it's really important that we lean properly. And by leaning properly, we can actually plan properly for our flight. So, uh, Russ, is there anything else you want to say about that? Yeah, so you have to, of course, lean to match the performance. But what's the other component of your fuel planning? It's knowing how much fuel you started with, right? Mm -hmm. And Carl, you you touched on it before, you know, telling the fueler how much gallons to put in, whatever. What do we say a lot? We say we'll just top it off or fill it to the tabs, right? But you read through these these accident reports, and there's so many cases of uh, you know the pilot saying, you know, fill it to the tabs or fill it up, and either the guy fueling it you know, didn't understand what that meant, possibly. Uh, they may be new, or maybe the airplane was a little bit unusual. Um, I I was uh, in a Bonanza a couple months ago, and the pilot had told the the, the uh, line guy to fill it up, and we went out there, and well, it, when you open the cap, it kind of looked full-ish, but it still fit in about another five gallons of tank. So mm. that's pretty significant, right? Sure. And... So if you were planning on having all that fuel and you didn't go ahead and verify that they did what you ordered, uh, that could that could put you in, in some real trouble. So knowing the fuel you're starting with is just as important as as leaning it out when you go to, so you can fly your plan. One of the things to, to kind of add to that is um, a friend of mine, a real good friend, a good instructor, uh, he went out flying with his student and they decided to go to the Bahamas. And they went down to the Bahamas, and his student was a really good pilot, great pilot, and very conscientious. 
He told him actually how much fuel he had in the tanks, but unfortunately, he was about 30 minutes short of what actually was in the tanks, and they wound up going down in the Gulf Stream about 55 miles out from the, the east coast of Florida, and mm-hmm. uh, they were picked up by by uh, you know the folks from uh, uh, search and rescue out there and, and uh, from the border patrol. I think it was the first people on the scene. Uh, but anyway, one of the reasons they went down is that he was told by the student how much fuel he had in the tanks. He never actually checked it himself physically, and I think that's kind of what you're getting to, Russ, is the fact that no matter how much you tell the person to put in the tank. You actually have to physically check that because our gauges aren't quite as as accurate as they need to be on our aircraft. So we need to actually either stick to tanks or look in there physically ourselves. And uh, when this person went down to the Bahamas on the way back, uh, probably would have been a good idea to, to actually check those tanks instead of having to swim in the Gulf Stream there. Although the waters were warm, I'm sure he didn't enjoy that whole swim there. Uh, fascinating experience and all. Uh, and one of the things that I think that we wind up overlooking is the fact that, um, you know, yeah, we're over land. A lot of times you can pick a place to land, but there's not, uh, and we all think we're great pilots and we can find a place and we can land on the highway, et cetera. But, but why do that? You know, why not make sure that we have more than enough gas in our tanks? Uh, we do that at the airlines. We have a minimum amount of fuel that we need to get to our destination. And uh, and we very much plan our fuel to the minimums so that we can actually be more efficient in our flights. But there's another part of that fuel. We need to take a little bit of fuel for our family. We need to make we sure we take a little bit extra fuel so that when we get there, there's some contingency planning there. And we also need to have an accurate reading. You know, at the airlines, we have uh, some some really good equipment that works, et cetera. But in our airplanes, I know in, in the 182 that I was flying, one of the things that I used to do is take a stick and actually measure the fuel in each of the tanks. And, and Russ, I think maybe in that case, if the person actually sticked the tanks, in other words, took the physical fuel reading from the tanks, maybe they wouldn't have gotten themselves in that situation. What do you think? Yeah, well, sticking the tanks is always a great idea, if, if possible, of course. Um, I, I have... One of my clients has a different stick for each tank, <laughs> so so he actually um, went and emptied them out and filled it up, you know, a gallon or five gallons or something at a time, and just he used two sticks just in case they were a little bit different. But uh, that's hey, that's a great idea. And and so we can learn from that from people that actually own their own airplanes is that actually physically take a look at that. Also, another thing that uh, a lot of times I'm actually I take the heat on this one and I will is the fact that when we're talking to the fuelers, we tell them how much fuel we want in the tank. And what is the minimum fuel in those tanks? Say we're in a big fleet of aircraft that are rentals. Uh, say we always keep them to the tabs. It's very important to do that. And and I, I know that we don't fly based on the n- number of gallons in our, our tank. We fly based on the number of hours. And when air traffic control tells us or asks us, hey, how many hours of fuel do you have? We have to come up with that number well, those hours of fuel are based on us doing the proper thing, leaning properly, just like you said, but also making sure that we have the proper amount in our tanks, just like we can tell the fueler, hey, listen, make sure they're at the tabs. And if they're low in that, let me know. Let me know what's going on there. Uh, there's also another interesting part of this whole fueling equation, and this, this seems a little bit, to me, like almost impossible, but it's not and I know we've heard about this, is putting the wrong fuel in the tank uh, and making sure that we get, you know, 100 low lead if we're running on 100 low lead or if we have uh, an aircraft that run on diesel, we can put in some jet fuel or some some other type or av gas or, excuse me, auto gas into our tanks. And that's also really important is making sure that we have the proper fuel, the type of fuel in our tanks. Making sure we plan properly is obvious. We haven't really talked about it much because you should be planning properly and also making sure that we have the proper fuel in our tanks. And one of the ways we can do that is by sumping our tanks. And I know, Russ, you're, you're very involved in flight instructing, and, and I'm sure that your students actually go out and sump their tanks. So what, what is actually the proper procedure of going out there to sump the tanks and make sure you've got the proper fuel, type of fuel in your tanks? Well, when you're sumping a tank, of course, you're, ch- you're checking for the, 
you know, not just for water and the gas. I mean, you know, that's that's very important. You know, we I think we all learn about that. You know, looking for that line of water, um, but the color of the fuel as well. And uh, we're talking about 100 low lead in most of these cases, most of these airplanes. So we're looking for that nice blue color, and. Sometimes it can be pretty light. You got to hold it up against, you know, a nice white surface. Most of the airplanes, of course, are, have large areas of white on them, it seems. So you hold it up in that and you look for that blue color. If it's any other color these days, you know, I mean, you, the books, I think, still talk about red and green fuel, but, you know, you really can't get that in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's any other color than blue, you, you stop because you might have a, uh, you know, you might have been misfueled with, uh, with diesel or, or jet fuel or something else. Who knows? Yeah, being that that kind of that yellowish kind of thing with the, and that does happen every so often. These these uh, trucks come out there and they're they have the wrong type of fuel. Boy, what a what a sinking feeling. Also, another thing about fuel starvation is, um, and you touched on this, Russ, is the making sure that we actually have not just a proper fuel but uncontaminated fuel. I know a lot of times in some of the bigger planes, they have all sorts of incredible fuel strainers and centrifugal uh, type of, of pumps that can actually take all the, the water out of the fuel. You know, we don't have that in our, our general aviation aircraft. So when you're sumping the tank, and this is, this is interesting in the mornings, especially when I was on the island, is that you sump your tank and you see this really clear liquid that's in there and just a little bit of blue stuff. That's that's not good, is it, Russ? <laughs> a little bit of clear liquid and some blue stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, that that that's not good, Carl. Um, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I I had another client who you know longtime pilot you know own owns his airplane you know flown it for many many years and um, and the first time we flew together you know we we're doing some recurrency type training flight review and such. First time we fly together, we're out there looking at the airplane and. He says, I think I should uh, go ahead and sump it. I, I usually don't, but, you know, you're here. Maybe I will, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and so he was very upfront about it. <laughs> and, and sure enough, he, he sumps it, and there's brown crud floating there in the bottom of that sampler cup. And he looks at that and says, well, guess I'm sampling every time from now on. <laughs> you know, so, but, but it's true. Uh, I know when, when I, uh, I used to own an airplane, and I would sump it every single time, but and after 10 years of never finding a drop of water in that thing, you know, I, it was the, the, it was very tempting, I guess, to, to just say, you know, what is fine, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but one time I was almost going to do that and ignore. And I said, no, no, I'll do the right thing. And I sumped it. And this is after 10 years of ownership, never found a drop of water. And sure enough, there was water. So, um, yeah, that, that got my attention too. But yeah, you're looking for that contamination, you know, brown crud in, in the, the first guy's case, uh, water, any kind of debris, dirt, anything like that, definitely. So one of the things that I've seen people do is that they feel the fuel. I don't know, Russ and Larry, you've probably seen this with some of the old timers, uh, is they actually just feel the fuel and say to themselves, okay, that's, that's avgas, that's not water, et cetera. Um, uh, what, what are your feelings on that? I, I'd like to feel your, hear your feedback on that. I, I've never felt my fuels. <laughs> the, the color I, is usually enough. Look for that dividing line. I know of what you're saying. I mean, you can you know pour it on a towel and see what evaporates first and that kind of thing. But I, I think looking at it is probably sufficient. Uh, plus, if you're feeling it, you kind of got to know what to feel for too. And mm. and most people, pro- I think, might not. Yeah, I've I've never even heard of that technique. Uh, I've spilled fuel on myself a time or two, but that's about as much feeling of it as I've done. So I guess I, I come from kind of this old school where these folks are actually feeling their fuel. I think it's totally wrong. Uh, obviously, you need to take a peek at the fuel and actually look at the, the color of the fuel, make sure it's it's the proper grade, et cetera. And, and that's the way you need to do it. And, and that's kind of the point I was trying to make is it, it's, it's totally wrong to even think about uh, a fuel uh, actual that is – is based on the touch and feel. It should be based on your visual inspection of that gas and make sure it's the proper fuel for your aircraft. Whether it's auto gas, jet fuel, or av gas, make sure the color matches. But with that said, let's let's talk a little bit more about what we talked. And we kind of glossed over that whole flight planning and, and preparation for our flight. 
there's uh, you know there's enough fuel for me. I like to have an extra forty five minutes, an hour, maybe an hour and a half of gas. Uh, but in no matter what aircraft we have, uh, we are limited based on the amount of fuel we have. No matter if it's an, an electronic aircraft or electric, excuse me, aircraft that we're starting to see more and more, or whether it's something run by Avgas. And I know, uh, Rick, I'd love to get your feelings on this because uh, Rick has an, an electric car that he has to actually plug in, and it's very similar. You know, how do we go about planning our trips? Because you know, Rick, with, with the car that you have, you could actually easily run out of fuel if you decide to take a long trip, can't you? Yes, definitely. I so I have a Nissan Leaf, and I've had I've had a few, I now have the third one of those I've had. Um, so I've been doing this for a while, and it reminds me a lot of flight planning, um, which is part of the fun. Um, it's part of what uh, range anxiety get it gets people nervous who are used to driving gas cars because you can stop almost anywhere and fill up. Um, but but mostly that doesn't come into play in your life, and people shouldn't be worried about it. And I actually think it's kind of fun. Um, yeah, there was a <laughs> I actually. So there's lots of uh, there's lots of planning tools, just like there is in aviation, um, and so taking advantage of those prior to a trip where you know you're going to be at the um, you know at the end or near the edge of your range, um, and what factors influence that, and so it's the same is the same as flying. And in electric cars, it's it's things like how much. Um, you know how much energy are you using to heat or cool the car inside? How 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 much uh, uphill terrain are you on versus downhill? Yeah, uh, if you're if you're going round trip, it sort of works out <laughs> either way. But if you're going to be going uphill, you're gonna you're gonna burn more electricity, burn more, use more electricity. So yeah, I was on a trip once where I I thought I really thought I'd done the math, and um, uh, I hadn't quite, I, and I don't remember what. I don't remember what was wrong about the math, but I know that we were getting back to a charging station that I knew we needed to get to to top off to then make it home. And I knew where that was. And um, what I didn't know is that the, at least the version of the leaf I had at the time, um, this is about gauges kind of, it um, as it neared the very, very end of the battery's capacity, it stopped giving me a mileage estimate. And the way it works now is there's a rolling estimate, kind of, you know, like any kind of gauge. It's sort of an estimate of how many miles you'll be able to go based on on your your recent driving and, and other factors and how much is left in the uh, in the battery. And it, and I realized I didn't know this, but at the very, very end of that, it doesn't have enough information to really even bother giving you an estimate. So it just stops. And so uh, I didn't know, you know, I sort of had a moment of going, I don't know how empty this battery is, you know, and the, the equivalent would be in, you know, flying or, or gas cars would be, I don't know how much gas I've got left, uh, you know, my own fumes. Um, but, and we ended up, I, I just did everything as efficiently as I could, uh, did a little coasting when I could. And uh, we rolled into the place where, you know, the plug was and we plugged in and we made it. But, but it was, it was definitely a, a reminder that, um, you know that that you really got to do your math, and and I I, I, just, I don't know what I did wrong, but I I definitely miscalculated. Maybe because I used a little bit of power at the beginning of the day before we made our trip, and that little extra was the difference. But anyway, so yeah, it happens, and I um uh, yeah, that's it's very similar, and and it's it's easy enough to know how to be safe. You know, plan ahead. Similarly, in the in the airplane, uh, I like what you said about uh, different charging stations. And something we haven't really brought up here is the fact that it's nice to have alternates along your route as far as gas is concerned. The same thing with electric cars, that you need to know where you can go and charge your aircraft or, or, or fill up your aircraft, charge your car, etc. And that's something that um, you know we obviously do all the time in the airlines. Where can I go if I, I need to right away, if I lose pressurization, etc., and I have to go to 10,000? feet and burn a whole bunch of gas. And I think that's really, really important to do that. And one of the things that I think that we sometimes don't do is plan for contingencies, even though well, we put the alternate in that's legal, but there is something that's not just legal, it's safe. 
And that's something I do all day long, no matter what kind of flying it is. It's in an Airbus or a 172. I want to know where I can put down to get gas to move forward on my trip because uh, it, it, there's a convenience factor and there's also a safety factor. The convenience factor meaning that if I have planned for an airport that actually has gas, that's terrific. Of course, I can have somebody drive an air, a, a fuel truck out there and fill me up if I have to. But it's really important to also plan for contingencies. What if? What if? The airport you're going to shuts down because that happens every so often where somebody actually blows a tire, etc., and they don't actually make it to our destination. You know, it's kind of like when we were kids making uh, planning a long country, isn't it, Russ? <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that, Carl, because, yeah, when, I mean, when I remember when I was growing up and we moved to, to Phoenix, Arizona, and, I mean, especially back then – it was a lot less developed than it is now in some areas of the of that part of the country. And I remember going on these road trips with my dad, and he would plan out, you know, <laughs> we're going to stop here and here and here, you know, for fuel, right? <laughs> and he'd have backup plans and all this kind of stuff. It, it, it was amazing. Um, but we really just don't do that anymore. I mean, I, I certainly don't do that even on a road trip because, well, gas stations are everywhere for your car, right? So... You just go, and once it gets to you know a quarter tank or whatever you feel comfortable with, you uh, you just stop at the next gas station. No big deal, right? Well, of course, we don't have that in airplanes. So, what what my dad might have done, you know, thirty, forty, whatever years ago, is kind of how we need to fly and, and think of this. And I like your your idea there of thinking of alternates for even you know even if we don't need them, you know, even if they're not. We're not talking IFR alternates, just just alternate plans, contingency plans. Where are we going to go in case something happens? We have a fuel leak. You know, we have a problem with fuel feeding from some one of our tanks uh, or or anything like that. Having this, these alternates in mind is always a good planning exercise. And that's a, a really good point. I know I've uh, had that all along in, in my flying career, and we try to teach as instructors. It's like, where are you going to go? Uh, the last time I had to divert, uh, it wasn't where I wanted to go, and I wasn't even thinking about it, but it was a big piece of pavement, and I'm glad I got down on that piece of pavement, and that was really, really important. Sometimes, too, uh, we, we're the ones that cause the problem. We're the ones that actually are blowing those tires, and I know that one of our our listeners a long time ago wrote in about a situation that had happened with Larry, and I guess, Larry, you can, you can actually expand on that, that you may have been the person that caused somebody else to go around. Yeah, I did. Um, and one of our listeners was there to help me on the ground. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, you come in and, and blew a tire on landing and, you know, the tire was fine when I checked it and, you know, pre-flight, um, but uh, came in and, and uh, blew it on landing. Um, the landing was fine. It wasn't a bad landing. I didn't bounce or anything, you know, but um, stuff happens. And I got stuck there on the runway and shut down Springdale, Arkansas for about an hour or so. And, um, you know, there wasn't anything that we could do except tell people to go somewhere else uh, that man that was a good example for about an hour of or so of gas say if i have 45 minutes of gas and you're shutting the airplane airport down for an hour i'm going somewhere else i need to go somewhere else and uh, interestingly enough in that same area i was stuck in the same situation where i got into an airport there was no planned weather, and it was like, you know what? we got to go somewhere else, and we went over to Bentonville in Arkansas because of the fact that, you know, we could not get yep. into our destination. And that's just in, in general. You know, I feel, and I know most of us here would agree, always, you know, plan you're going to get there, but it's not until you have your wheels on the pavement that you actually realize you're there. Always think, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. And always think about that as much as you can along your route. It's hard to do, though. I, hey, I'm guilty. I've been flying for so many hours in an aircraft that I've never had any problems with. And it was like, yeah, what could go wrong? Well, when you start saying that, it's about the time when something does go wrong. And you decide, oh, my gosh, we really do need to actually go to an alternate airport and, uh, gosh, I, I've actually been in an aircraft where I had an extra hour and a half, two hours of gas, and I had to actually divert. And I, and I said to myself, and I, I was down that path, like, there is nothing that, there's no way that I won't make it to my destination. And I didn't make it. I was pretty embarrassed because 
uh, I was so, you know, mission-oriented, and I think we all are that way, that we are going to make it to our destination. Like in Springdale, Arkansas, when you blew that tire, I could be sitting there saying, hey, I've got an hour of gas. Well, wait a minute. You're sitting there for an hour, hour and a half on the runway. I, I just can't make that. So I think that's really important. So contingency planning is important. Also making sure you have the proper fuel. And the fact that you actually operate your aircraft properly, leaning properly, is incredibly important. On the fuel, your pre-flight planning is absolutely incredibly important. We also, we, we run pilots through that, and we go through that with our students all the time. And uh, and not just students. I mean, every day we fly. The most embarrassing thing is is to run out of gas and uh, and not be able to make it to our destination. Also, sometimes you're not going to make it to your destination because something breaks. You know, it's like, okay, I can't make it there. I'm going somewhere else. And that's that's just the way life is. You know, we, we can't always make it towards our destination so with with all that said as far as fuel planning is concerned and i think you know all of us agree is the fact that yeah we need to make the proper planning we need to actually take into consideration certain contingency planning we also have to properly uh operate our aircraft uh, but we never know we always hope for the best plan for the worst and that's what you should do in any type of fuel planning. And I think, I think all of us can agree, and I, I'm not sure if anybody else wants to add to that, but uh, there's so much out there as far as fuel planning is concerned. We're still running out of gas, by the way, and uh, as general aviation pilots. And, and we need to try to stop doing that because of the fact that not only is it embarrassing, but it also it runs our statistics high and also is very dangerous. No matter what, I know we think we're great pilots and we can land just about anywhere, and we can. But uh, why risk it? Why risk that one day where, yeah, there is nothing below us and we may not be able to pick out a good landing spot? So let's make sure we have fuel in our tanks. So I think that's enough said on that. Unless anybody else wants to add to that, I'd like to move on to our next topic. Um, And this is something that, uh, uh, and we've got a little bit of time to talk about this, maybe 10, 15 minutes. Something that's really important in our aviation lives and that's something that is fulfilling our dreams and fulfilling our dreams of, of flying an airplane. And flying an airplane is, is something that is very vague, I found. And I wanted to make it more specific. So one, and this is the reason I want to talk about this. One night I had a, a really interesting dream. And I, I said to myself, you know, what, what do I dream about when I'm flying? Like, really, like, what, what would I dream about? And what would you dream about if you really wanted an airplane to fulfill your dreams? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in there, and I know this is going to be embarrassing to me, but the thing that really appeals to me as an airplane is concerned, it, it takes me back to when I used to live in the islands, and I had a little John boat, and I wanted to just, I took that John boat where I wanted to go. I would disappear to these little islands and pull up in my boat and run up on the beach and have a lot of fun. And it was small, but it fulfilled my dream of going somewhere and nobody else has gone and being in these uninhabited islands. So my dream airplane would be something that could take me to those islands and drop me off just like it did in my John boat, a light little airplane. And when I was, and what was interesting is when I started thinking about this, I actually sat in an airplane that I felt, uh, two airplanes actually that I felt could fulfill that dream, and and that one of them was, uh, you know, the Icon uh, aircraft, and I thought that was the an incredible aircraft, and also another one's called the Sea Ray. I I could imagine myself pulling up to a beach in a little airplane like that, and hanging out there for the day and having you know, my sandwich or whatever and hang out on the beach and then, you know, playing with the animals on that island and being uninhabited and then taking off again and flying away. And that's that's something that I find is really important in all of our lives, in our general aviation life, is what is it you want to do with your airplane? What What is it that would be really cool for you? One of the things that was really important to me is sharing flight, and that's why I became a flight instructor, so that was part of the dream. The other part of the dream was, yeah, it would be actually flying in a in a seaplane somewhere in an amphibious aircraft, possibly, to a little island and taking someone there and showing them all the wonderful things. So with that said, I mean, it, it, it all came from that, that time when I was riding around in my little John boat in the islands. 
I, I decided to go and start looking into getting a seaplane rating. And uh, that's actually something we're looking at now, and we will obviously be there at Seaplane of Palooza uh, coming up in Tavares, Florida. We did a, a whole interview there. But my question is this to my other co-host is, you know, what is your dream airplane? And I probably should start with Larry because he's somebody who's actually started actually building his dream airplane, I think. Right, Larry? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, my dream airplane is the one that's down in my basement, and I just dream of it <laughs> flying. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, we mentioned before it's the Sonics, um, uh, you know. And I think one of the things I like about it is uh, it's got enough, you know, performance and efficiency that if you want to hop across the country, you can do that. Um, you're going to travel light, but you can do it. Um, and, and yet, you know, it's good for light aerobatics. It's, you know, good for just going to the local pancake breakfast. Uh, you know, it's, it's efficient and so forth. I, I think the, the thing that makes it the, um, uh, so nice in my mind is that it, it does such a great job of hitting the sweet spot that I care about. And the way that if you, if you, go to the Sonics, you know, website or any of their presentations, they talk about the most fun for the dollar. And that is their mission. You know, it's, it's an aircraft that's pretty easy to build. Um, it's, you know, it's going to perform well. It's going to give you a pretty good range of, of different, you know, things that you can do with it and have fun with it. Um, but the most fun for the dollar, that's an entirely different mission than I need to get up and fly 1500 or 2000 miles IFR cross country reliably. Right. And so the, to me, the, the dream airplane, you know, making sure you have your dream airplane starts with figuring out what your mission is for that airplane first, and then figuring out which airplanes, you know, maybe candidates for that. I think that makes sense because, you know, when I said about the John boat, I'm not talking about the John boat that we see over at Sun and Fun every year that has the propeller on it and lands on the lake. <laughs> that That's not what I'm talking about. All of that it might be really cool. It's actually kind of sitting there with my eyes closed envisioning what would be the best thing for me, and that's uh, pulling up right to the dock or right to the to the beach and flying and with you just being able to go cross country bringing your friends to lunch uh it, it's that it's that is so amazing to me and i think it's amazing to our listeners so russ i i'd be curious what what's your dream aircraft well i think i'm going to go for that icon or the sea ray so i can fly those same islands when you go and interrupt your solitude carl no, no don't do that <laughs> <laughs> no no i actually have a better plan you know actually i was thinking about this and and, you know, we all, uh, like Larry was saying, um, you know, we have to determine, you know, what's important is what, what do we want to do and, and that kind of thing. And, well, you know, right now my wife would really like to go to Florida a lot. Mm. <laughs> so, so my airplane, I think, would be something that would get us there reasonably quickly. Um, you said it's our dream airplane. We can all have our dreams. So, therefore, obviously, I can support the airplane. So some, you know, small turboprop probably would be up in, in the running there. Um that would get us down to Florida pretty quick. We could uh, hang out at your place, Carl, and then go on your uh, Sea Ray or Icon to those islands. Well, you're more than welcome to come down and go for a flight yeah. over there. Yeah. Uh, there's there's actually some hole builds, too, that are out there that can get you there pretty quickly. I mean, you're yeah. looking at some of these 200 knot aircraft. I mean, that's that's fast, isn't it? Yeah, so th that's kind of what I'd be looking for is you know a, a, a traveling airplane to get around. We have a lot of places we'd love to go. I mean, we have, you know, friends and family in Phoenix and that's kind of a haul from Oklahoma City and out in Florida we have friends it's just kind of all around the US and getting there would be would be pretty cool that is pretty cool and uh, and I think you know sharing that with your your spouse and your kids and and your friends is is really awesome um, Rick what what's your dream aircraft have you thought about this yeah um, well you know I would say that I when I was doing my training and most of my flying, I, I, I felt, I felt like I was flying my dream aircraft at the time, which was a Cirrus. I really, I really love the Cirrus. And I, I thought, well, this is just how flying should be. You know, I, I loved uh, everything about it. Um, but so that said, um, uh, I think, you know, it would be, it would, it would be an airplane that probably doesn't exist quite yet, which would be one with, you know, acceptable range and, uh, uh, easy to maintain but that w that is all electric and i would go ahead and just continue that electric thing because i'd love to um uh, I, you know i hope someday that can be you know more possible and it, and i assume it will be so I, I don't know what that's what that would be i don't know what it's called i don't know anything about it but that's what i would want that would be my dream and mostly for ease of use um and uh you know and just because i like 
I like trying, I like pushing the edges of where technology can go. So that would be fun for me. And that's out there now. I mean, they're working on those yeah. things. Airbus is, et cetera. And, and that's yeah. what's really cool and exciting. So Rick will be able to fulfill his dream very shortly, I hope. Well, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really <laughs> excited. I mean, if you look at all these different air shows, they're talking more and more about those electric aircraft. And uh, batteries are getting more efficient, uh, getting lighter getting more efficient uh you know the even some of the training aircraft that are coming out they're now able to fly for what 90 minutes now uh hmm. maybe someday it'll be two three hours four hours and I, yeah. I think that's really really exciting so i think that's totally cool rick i think that, that's neat and uh yeah keep keep reading those articles i think i think it'll come true as a matter of fact yeah. one of the things that's cool too rick is is maybe someday uh, you'll be able to build that electric aircraft, and uh, and that would be very cool. That that would be awesome, and uh, maybe we'll partner on that. Following one, Larry's, sure. follow, yeah, yeah, yes. that'd be fun. Yes. Follow, following Larry's footsteps. Exactly, exactly. Got to clean my basement first, though. It's a mess. <laughs> that might be uh, a clean basement part. helps. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, and a, and a large bulkhead. <laughs> and and I know that. Make, uh, make sure you have windows. Yes, windows. Yeah. In Florida, we don't have basements, by the way, guys. It's just garages. Oh, but, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't have snow. And, uh, and that'll well, work. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that said, there's a whole community out there, people building aircraft, and, uh, and they're building all sorts of stuff. Electric aircraft, they're building aircraft that are jet engine aircraft. Uh, out of uh, aircraft that were just piston aircraft before. So it's really cool what people are doing. And uh, you can check out that at the EA.org, and that's at the Home Builders. Really, really cool stuff. Um, anyway, this whole discussion has been really cool as far as, you know, our dream aircraft. But what is your dream aircraft? Uh, and, and I know a lot of times we talk about that whole stable of aircraft. Um, but one of the things we don't do is we don't become practical and say to ourselves, you know, what one aircraft could we have? And uh, and I love Rick's idea of flying something that's electric because it's coming. It's about to happen. And every day uh, the storage actually gets cheaper, gets lighter. And, uh, and that's, that's the biggie. I mean, that, that's a real big uh, hurdle. But what's really cool is that there's so many people out there that are coming up with new technologies in electric aircraft and electric cars. Not just that. They're coming out with new technologies in our piston aircraft and new engines. They're coming out with uh, different diesel aircraft. And we're going to see a lot of that at some of the new at the air shows, and we're seeing that right now. So I think we're at a really cool stage in general aviation, and I'm really excited about it. And I'm excited that maybe someday it'll, it'll continue to become less expensive, which I think it has already, and has some really cool technologies, like with the light sport aircraft, where some of the technologies in these $100,000 airplanes is far and above some of the technologies we see in some of the $400,000 aircraft. And that's, that's awesome, and that's really, really exciting. Exciting. So look for new airplanes over at uh, at some of the big air shows, Sun and Fun, and also at uh, that other air show up in Oshkosh. And we definitely will see them overseas in some of the shows that, uh, you know, some these are sponsored by airlines. A lot of these aircraft are sponsored by the airlines. And I think uh, kudos to those folks that are, are taking that technology and taking those dreams of flight forward. Uh, so big hats off to those folks. Well, anyway, let's move Carl, on speaking to of that yes, other. Speaking mm -hmm. of that other air show up north, um, uh, are you going to be there this year? Oh, God. You know, I, I <laughs> actually figured out. I was hoping no one asked that question. Uh, there, I, I think I You figured, can't gloss over it that quick. No, gosh, I was hoping to get beyond that. Uh, but anyway, now that you've stuck me with that, Larry, the, uh, one of the things that I'm really trying to do, and I think I figured it out, is how to get my schedule to have it off that day uh, or that week, I should say. And uh, if I don't, I'll just call in sick. I'm just joking, by the way, if anybody from work is listening. Uh, but I think I figured out a way to actually get that time off so i'm not going to say definitely i'm going to be there but i think i figured it out i tried to get it off i couldn't for vacation but um there's a way that i can manipulate my schedule to have that time off that's one of the the busiest months of our year and uh, that's the reason i actually haven't made it there yet uh, but uh, i definitely it's so funny because everybody i talk to in the planet knows about oshkosh and has been there but me so I, I really want to go, and uh, and I'd love to see Larry there and all of our other friends there. So, yes, sir, I, I will definitely, definitely we'll, try to get there. We'll save you a spot. Yeah, yeah, Camp Bacon. It's, <laughs> uh, it's, I have my bacon soda, by the way. 
uh, baking soda, All right. bacon soda. So I'm ready for Camp Bacon. Uh, but uh, anyway, great discussion we've had, guys. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners, stuckmikeavcast.com. Uh, excuse me, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. Uh, send in some of your you know, stories about what you've had as far as challenges uh, with fuel. Uh, we won't mention your name if it's something, an incident or accident. Uh, but we'd love to hear so that we can also help those that are listening right now and, uh, and give some input so that they may not make that same mistake that you've possibly made, and we won't use your name, etc. Uh, anyway, let's move on to our next segment, and that's our Picks of the Week. Our Picks of the Week. Our Picks of the Week. Uh, let's start with Russ. Russ, what is your Pick of the Week? Well, Carl, my Pick of the Week is is actually one that is a little bit, was a little bit surprising, and I didn't even know about it until uh, you know just a couple months ago. Um we all know how to get notams, uh, notams, right? Notices to airmen, um, get them different ways. Of course, you can call a briefer, but you know, a lot of us get us off our them off our various um, electronic flight bags, uh, different products. They just bring them in automatically. Well, the FAA actually has the, I, I guess, official uh, notam site where you can go to look up your notams. But what people don't realize is on the right side of that screen, and we'll have a link in the show notes. On the right side of that screen, it says, there's a little link that says, Letters to Airmen. And this is kind of interesting because this is stuff that isn't really a notum, you know, like the runway's closed or something like that. But rather, it's basically ATC writing a letter (laughs) to you, the pilot, explaining certain things. Uh, A lot of them are on... uh, what type of services they offer for practice instrument approaches. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of instrument flying lately and the, the local one talks about, Hey, approach control is busiest between out these hours and it's not so busy in these hours. And here's the frequencies and we can give you practice approaches, to these airports, um, you know, we can give you vectors and that kind of thing. So it, there's a lot of those in there, which is, which is pretty neat uh, and interesting information. There's others which have, you know, a letter from the tower saying, Hey, at this airport, um, we can't see behind this row of hangars or, you know, we can't hear you on the radio if you're over in this type of location. Um, there's one I'm looking at here uh, for uh, people flying up and down the, the Chicago shoreline there on Lake Michigan and talking about the arrivals into Midway and what altitudes they're generally at and the frequencies they're on. So you as a, as a VFR pilot going up the shoreline can keep away from the, the flow of traffic. So all kinds of really interesting stuff that I don't really know if it's available anywhere else or if it is. I sure haven't heard of it. But uh, like I said, it's on the FA's NOTAM site, but it's that link over to the right side. And we'll, we'll have a little description in the show notes. Pretty neat site. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, uh, it's non uh well, it's non-regulatory, but it's just letters telling you, hey, this is uh, operating procedures and best practices. And I think that's really cool. I think that's awesome. What a, what a neat uh, tool to use, and it's something we don't really talk about. So thank, thanks for sharing that with us, Russ. That was awesome. Sure. Um, moving on to our next pick of the week. Let's see. Larry, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, well, we, we've been talking a little bit about Sun and Fun and how uh, Stuck Mike is going to be there, and you can look for us in our shirts and all that. Um, so I just figured I'd shout out to Sun and Fun uh, and their flysnf.org website where you can find all the details on tickets and daily events, the air shows, um, every you know each day different things going on, exhibitors, and a whole lot more. Um, and if you're going to be there, it will be an invaluable uh, aid to getting the most out of the time that you're there, whether it's just for a day or if you're there for all week. Um, and if you're not going to be there, I really encourage you to spend some time on the website uh, to feel bad about not being there so that you end up going <laughs> after all. <laughs> we'd, we'd love to see you. Um, or, you know, if you can't be there, obviously, uh, liveatc.net slash SNF uh, is the way to almost be there. And I'm glad you brought that up. It's a new website, flysnf.org, www.flysnf.org. It's a much easier website to get to than before. And also, if you want, liveatc.net slash SNF, you can stream right now. Listen to it right now. You can listen to the interviews uh, throughout the year and some of the events throughout the year. So thanks for uh, plugging that there, Larry. And we are very excited to do that. Uh, Let's see. On the next uh, pick of the week, all right, I will go with the next pick of the week, and that's... uh, 
there's a, a website. It's uh, I Love Flying Foundation uh, that's out there uh, promoted by a, a, a very nice lady who really wants to help uh, young and other experienced ladies get into aviation and by you know her promoting aviation she decided to put together a scholarships and uh, the scholarships are going to be available coming up on March 9th uh, as far as that specific time they're going to launch their first flight training scholarship and that's going to be money towards your flight training uh, it's uh, it's for all pilots that want to get into flight training uh, specifically she tries to to move towards uh, getting more younger uh, ladies into aviation and hats off to what she's doing with that website and it's uh, iheartflying.org and it's the scholarships page and uh, yes girls do fly and I love the fact that she wears that website or excuse me wears that uh, shirt is yes girls do fly because a lot of and, and I and we still haven't seen this big influx of of women in aviation getting into uh, general aviation but it's happening we're seeing it as a dribble I'd like to see it as a flood not just a dribble and I want I want to promote her website because we want everybody everybody to be involved in aviation so I heartflying.org the new flight training scholarship coming out this year so go check it out so rick what is your pick of the week yeah i uh, often as people know uh, pick a few few different have a few different categories i pick and often i pick weather apps because i i'm very into weather um i i sort of worked closely with a, a broadcast meteorologist early in my career and uh got into some of the details and of course flying you know, just took that to another level. Um, so, and I've mentioned this one before, but it's time. It's a good time to revisit it because a whole lot of things have changed. Back in, back in Stuck Mike uh, episode forty-two, I mentioned this wow. uh, app. It's called Radar Scope. Um, it's available for iOS and um, uh, Android uh, phones or pads, and um, and it's not. It's it's a major. This is a major detailed radar. Um, uh, visualization tool that in some ways I've had to learn how to use by by sort of picking the brains of meteorologists that that I that I follow on uh, Twitter um, uh, so it's it's very it's very complex it's hyper local so you are picking a local uh, radar to to look at and then parse the data um, it's also not uh, it's not cheap, you know. It's not a 99 cent or free radar app. It's really for somebody who wants to to dig in uh, very closely to stuff. Um, you know, you can vary. I, the other day, I, I, I was, and this is an example where I had to learn how to use it. Um, the with things like these nor'easters. Um, this was not this one, but a couple times ago. Uh, what in terms of uh, snow levels, snow amounts, it really matters in New England where the snow rain line ends up falling. And that becomes a hard hard thing to, to forecast. Um, and, it, and it moves, and that snow rain line will slide uh, and bring more snow or rain, depending on which way it's moving. And there is a way to select, sub-select, um, and parse the data in this app uh, to more to better show the rain-snow line. And someone mentioned it, and I said, hey, I have this, this app. What you know which setting do I use, and 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 got the answer on Twitter for how to sub you know select that, and uh, it was very cool. And it, it's deeper than like any really good program. It's deeper than I've ever really used it, but uh, but I'm trying to to get better at it. And uh, the other thing, the re- other reason to bring it up the, these many episodes later, is that if you have um, have an Apple Watch, it it does all of that stuff on the watch. So um, you know maybe it doesn't do everything, but it does an awful lot of. Um, uh, of stuff and it's moving uh, it's moving radar data on the watch too so a very nice uh, product radar scope and it is ios and uh, android yeah, i like the fact that they show norman oklahoma there right there on the apple watch example there uh right. it, <laughs> hey. <laughs> Yay. It, it really is amazing how you can parse this data like you said i've been using it for quite some time and they keep getting better yeah uh but it's for all those weather geeks like yourself and myself and and uh really for the professional weather person and it's fascinating it actually is really fa- and and they've done a great job of keeping it moving forward I mean, yeah. how many years has it been out? And uh, they yeah, well, a great as I said, I, I went back. I said, I think I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to find it, and it, it's been a while. Yeah, uh, it's been quite some more, time. Years. Oh, uh, more than a hundred episodes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And anyway. uh, it's getting old, just like us. No, but it's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but thanks. Hey, appreciate that. Yeah. That is such a cool app, and uh, I, 
I really, I would suggest anybody going out there to radar scope because I've used it on my Apple Watch. Uh, mine runs a little bit slower, it seems, at times with the Apple Watch, but it's, it runs really well on the on the uh, iPhone. Yeah, and you can it actually, depends on which one generation watch and, and all that. But exactly, yeah. exactly. And you can parse out, like you said, the data. So depending on what, what site you use and where you, you actually fill in the data, you can figure out uh, maybe how to get out of a bad situation on your way out of a, of a facility. So good stuff. Well, I appreciate that, Rick. And I appreciate your talking about your electric car as it relates to our uh, fuel situations and aircraft. Uh, yeah. Well, gosh, you know, that's it as far as the picks of the week. And, uh, you know, one of the things I, I always like to say to people is, you know, in this show, it's about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Uh, we've learned a lot here. We've talked a lot about fuel starvation. And I know you've had your instances where maybe you've been a little bit nervous about your fuel levels, et cetera. We'd love to hear from you, stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. Uh, but how much fuel is in your airplane? I want you to answer that question next time you go flying how much fuel is in your aircraft based on what you're doing how you're operating how much gas you have in the aircraft and are you leaning properly and uh, so think about all those things we've talked about a lot here so it's, it's not just cut and dry is it it's it's so different than we actually ever imagined so when i say how much fuel is in your airplane that is a loaded question you can't make a straight answer because it truly depends. It depends on your technique. It depends on the fuel that's in the aircraft. It depends even on the density of fuel and also the day and the temperature, etc. So there's so many things we can look at. But one thing I want to tell you and leave you with is please don't run out of gas because that's not only is it embarrassing, but it also can be something that's life-threatening. And we don't want that to happen because, you know what, we want you to fly again and we want to see you at all these air shows and all these other events that we're going to. Make sure, by the way, if you want to find us and see where we are, go to the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash stuckmikeavcast. And also check us out on Twitter, stuckmikeavcast, and find out where we're going to be and what we're going to be doing and uh, some of the events that we have coming up in the future. Well, folks, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. And uh, make sure you get out there and, and check your gas. Check how much fuel you have in your airplane. So how much fuel truly is in your airplane? Talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.